Well, good morning. So what informs us forms us, and we have to believe that there is a story that we are supposed to be in and a story that is bigger than us, and because of that, it's a story that makes us bigger. So I'm going to start with, I'll ask you a question, and you may have heard this question. It's kind of a popular uh, popular question that, that, that's asked to try to get us to stumble about our faith a little bit, you know, because you always have that smart guy or, or gal that wants to, to challenge you on it. So here's the question, all right? Can God create a rock so big that even he couldn't move it? Can God create a rock? Can God make a rock that is so big that even he can't move it? Hang on to that for a minute. So we've been looking at, and this is kind of a remix or a remastering of a lot of stuff that I have preached over several times um, over the last several years. But maybe when I looked at it this time, I looked at it a little differently. Um, and, and so this is kind of a remix of, of some stories that you're all familiar with, and you're familiar with the story today. And the, the underlying current in all these things that we've talked about last week at the, the wedding um, with the wine and this week is that, that Jesus did things that won the favor of the common folk, us, while at the same time it enraged the leaders of the religious establishment. And we've just basically kind of brought this down to a statement that says that Jesus poked the bear. He wasn't afraid to pick a fight every once in a while. So we're looking today at what John tells us is Jesus' third miracle. The second one where he raised uh, a young girl from the dead. This is the third one. Uh, the word translated, we learned this last week, the word translated miracle is literally, literally, literally the word for sign. It's something that points us towards the true nature of Jesus's message and his mission. And because Jesus was always teaching, he was always teaching. Even when he wasn't teaching, Jesus was teaching. And in the Gospels, we see two distinct reactions to Jesus's words and actions. Most of the religious outcast, the, the misfits, most of those people on the outer edge of being accepted or feeling like they're worthy, those people loved what he had to say. They loved what he did. Most of the religious leaders of the time hated him. Why? Well, because both groups understand his message. It's a message that brought hope to sinners and a threat to the religious leaders because it was going to upset their apple cart a little bit. It was going to take away their leverage. So here we are. First century Jerusalem was occupied by Rome and was greatly influenced by Greek culture. That's something I want to keep that in the back of your mind as we go on the rest of the story. Occupied by Rome, influenced by Greek culture. And in Jerusalem, every day, sick people gathered at this pool of Bethesda in the hopes of getting a healing. Bethesda was an ecclesian pool. That's a big word. I had to look it up. It's a healing pool dedicated to the pagan god Esclepius. I think I said that right, who was known for his healing powers. Now, the story and the, the legend was, is people believed that every so often an angel or a god or a spirit or something would come down and stir the water. And when the waters bubbled, the first person in got a miraculous healing. 
Now, this is compassion on a first-come, first-served basis. And I want you to think about this for a second. Uh, the pastor that I really enjoy listening to named Bruxy Cavey says that this was survival of the fittest healing, where the person who needs it least always gets it. So think about it. If the water stirs and you get in first, you get healed. So if you have a, a runny nose or a sore throat or an ingrown toenail, you got a good shot because that's not keeping you down, right? You got a good shot of getting in. But if you have something more serious, more debilitating, well, it's kind of like sorry about your luck. Maybe next time. But see, Jesus is always turning things upside down and inside out. He is always inverting our expectations and everting social circles. Um, he even says it in Matthew 20, 16. He says, so the, the last will be first and the first will be last. So when he comes to this pool, you know that he's thinking a different thing. So Jesus visits the pool of Bethesda and engages with a person who has the least chance of getting into that pool and getting healed. He doesn't talk to you. Now, you know, smart image building, brand building people would go, who can I hang around with that probably has the best chance of getting healed so it looks like I had something to do with it? But Jesus didn't do this. He goes to the very back of the line. He sees the one guy that he knows has no hope, no chance of getting in that pool if the waters bubble up. It was an invalid, a con confined to a mat, and he had no one to help him. The guy couldn't move. And that's where we pick up our scripture for this morning. In chapter 6, I'm sorry, uh, John chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus tells him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. He was carrying his mat. That's what they were upset with. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. See the scandal? Do you see where Jesus poked the bear that day? Jesus just healed a guy who was unable to walk for decades, as far as we know. Why worry about the mat? Why were the religious leaders so upset that he was carrying his mat? Why, why worry about it? There's a line in there. Um, I think it's around verse 9. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was serious business. Serious business. Uh, Ten Commandments. You may have heard of those. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, and your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. Now, I'm just... So y'all know y'all know this already, but who who wrote the Ten Commandments? 
It wasn't Charlton Heston. It's God. People of Israel weren't happy with just the very simple commands that Jesus gave them, which is basically this, be quiet, do what I tell you to do. And they wanted it on stones. They wanted laws. And so Moses went up the mountain. God said, fine, here's the laws. And God wrote this law. Sabbath is serious business. And the rabbis of Jesus' day, well, they debated what was considered, quote, unquote, work. And you know how politicians and leaders do when they debate their interpretation of what something is usually is the thing that benefits them the most. If it benefits them, yeah, that's how you're supposed to do it. But they debated what was work. But they all felt that carrying personal items like a sleeping mat on the Sabbath fit the description. So here's a couple other things about the Sabbath just to pick up. Numbers chapter 15 tells the story of a man seen picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Not cutting down trees, not splitting wood, picking up sticks on the Sabbath. The, the rumor or the history or the you know, the, the story goes that he was collecting sticks for fire so that he could make food. Picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Numbers 15, God tells all the people to stone him to death. Picking up sticks. Jeremiah chastises the people of Israel for disrespecting the Sabbath by carrying things around. That's in Jeremiah 17. Because, like we said, the Sabbath is serious business. And that mat had absolutely nothing to do with the miracle. But it has absolutely everything to do with the message that Jesus was giving. Now, notice how the religious leaders acted. They weren't not, it wasn't like, wow, you're healed, that's awesome, you're great, we're so happy for you. They said, how dare you break our religious laws? Who do you think you are to pick up your mat? Now, going back to Jeremiah, when Jeremiah rebuked Israel for carrying things on the Sabbath, he warned them that God would punish them if they continued to disobey him. Now, sometimes God's punishment takes on the form of famine or disease. But usually, God's punishment came in the form of a foreign invading army that would occupy where you were living. Remember I told you that in Jesus' day, Rome was an occupying force in Jerusalem. And so the people, the religious leaders, believed that if, if Israel was ever to be free from Rome, they need to ratch up how they took care of the law and how they, they followed it. Israel needed to get back to that old-time religion and taking the Sabbath seriously. In the midst of all this, here comes Jesus, and he pokes the bear. All of a sudden, there's this new, growing, irreligious. And when I say irreligious, it means that it had no regards for the way of traditions of these old religious structures, no matter what religion they were. It was irreligious. They didn't go for that. There was this new growing irreligious movement with a leader who encouraged people to break the traditional interpretations of the Torah, of God's word. That would make Jesus public enemy number one. We're only three miracles into his career. And that makes him public enemy 
number one. Throughout his ministry years, Jesus was followed by religious leaders. They studied Jesus. They debated Jesus. They tried to publicly shame Jesus with tests and tricks and traps. And we would have expected, because of such a great miracle, this guy couldn't have walked. He hasn't walked for decades, and now he can, and you've got to be happy for that. You would expect a different response. And you'd think that the people would be in awe when they realized that Jesus had restored the precious but damaged image of God that this man was. He wasn't a cripple. He wasn't an invalid. He, he was a precious image of God. But instead, the self-appointed religious police, they attacked Jesus on the grounds of breaking the Sabbath. They didn't say a word. They give a rat's behind if the guy walked or not. That wasn't their issue. It was, you didn't, you didn't play by our rules. And that's why they were so upset with him. They attacked Jesus, and that attack didn't just stay at a, <laughs> at a schoolyard fight level. I mean, that attack escalated into a, an assassination point when they heard Jesus refer to God as his father, which I think is really cool that we, we played, uh, we sang in, in Good, Good Father this morning because this is, this is what really pushed the religious leaders over the edge when Jesus said this. And the lesson here is that we need to expect it. Here's the first lesson. If you are claiming to be a believer, if you're following God, if you're setting yourself apart, the lesson here is not if this kind of persecution, if this kind of attack comes. The, the, the thing you have to realize is it's going to come. The lesson is we need to expect it. We need to expect hostility whenever God is at work in your lives or the lives of somebody else. There will be opposition and expect it to come from where you would least expect it. Among the leadership of the religious status quo, I will not mention names or churches, but years ago, I was at another church, and we were doing an event for youth. I mean, this is 20, 25 years ago. This is Jim Newberry era, right? We were doing an event for youth at the high school, bringing in all these kids. It was really cool. It's like this capture the flag, you know, out flashlight tag thing in the middle of fall break. And you know, we had 300 kids, I think. We had all these leaders from other churches together, and we had a guest speaker who was really dynamic, and he was going to give him an altar call, and we we're talking about how we should, you know, how to do this, how we're going to pull this off. And I just remember there was one leader of a church here in town. His biggest concern was when the kids come forward, who decides which church gets them? I'm going to say that again because I don't know if it came out the way I needed it. When the kids come forward, how do we divvy them up? To What's wrong with you? You know, and it's like that's when I, I think that's when I realized that, that I may have chosen the wrong career field because I was just like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What difference does it make? Where they go to, that's not what we're here for. We're here for this immediate thing. We're here for the for this relationship to happen. But this is not happening. And, and look, the reason I'm bringing that up is, is, is not to 
<laughs> to try to vault me up to a, a pinnacle because I've done stupid stuff like that too. It's to show you that nothing changes. There's nothing new under the sun. That the same struggles that we have sin-wise as people, it, it continues over. And, and the religious leaders of that, they were worried that if, if we don't keep the Sabbath, God's not going to get Rome out of here. And they were so entrenched in that that they overlooked the fact that God had just provided this amazing blessing for this man who hadn't had one. Verse 16. This is where it escalates into the assassination attempt. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. (laughs) In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now, look, you got to think like me for a second, okay, and realize what Jesus just said. All these religious leaders, they're really upset. They're persecuting. There's who are you? What do you think you're doing? This could lead to some bad things for you. And Jesus' response was like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize, or I didn't mean for him to pick up his mat. Jesus doubled down. He's playing with the house money. He just goes, let it ride. Let it ride. And he goes, uh, yeah, my dad is always at work, even on the Sabbath, and I'm, I'm doing his work. And it was like, oh, snap. Did, you see God did he just say he was the son of God? And they're looking at each other and going, yes, he did. He did say that. He said, my father, he was referring to God, doing these things. There is a lot of bear poking going on here. Jesus responds by saying that he is working. He just uses the word that got him in trouble in the first place. He says, you're not supposed to work in the Sabbath. What are you doing? He goes, working. I'm working. And they were just, that got him even more upset. And he said he's working just like God, his father, is always working. Jesus could have easily helped the cause by choosing words that would have de-escalated the situation a little bit, choose the words a little more carefully. But like I said, he doubled down on them. He says what he is doing is work and that he has the divine authority to live above their law. Are you seeing that? I'm not making this up. You're seeing that now? Jesus poking the bear is all about the issue of authority and pride. So I I started the message and I asked this question. Can God create a rock that even he can't lift? I'm going to answer it for you, all right? Can God create a rock that even he can't lift? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, he can, because he's God, and he can do that. Can he then choose to lift it? Again, absolutely yes, because he's God. And he doesn't play by our set of rules. Y'all know this. You make the rules, you get to change the rules, because you made the rules. God is no different. Does God have the authority to move beyond the rules and rituals of his own holy book to do things in an entirely new way? Yeah, he does. And until Jesus can help people in his day and ours to answer this with a definitive yes when you're asked this question, nothing Jesus says or does will make any sense to you. 
until you can get to the point where you can answer that question, can God go against, can God do things totally different than his laws had said? Can he, can he do a 180 from someone? And until you say yes, then what Jesus says and does is just going to be book learning, and it's not going to matter that much. Does that make sense? Because he, you know why this is? Because I'm one of these people. There's somebody, you remember everything you did that got your lame butt on that mat in the first place. I mean, you know what you did. You know why you're in the shape that you're in. You, you remember the actions and the words that weren't going to be God-pleasing because you, you know that because a lot of people from church kind of looked at you and went, I don't know about that. You know that, right? You know what the rules say, right? And the laws say, right? You realize until you realize that God is above even his own laws and he can do things to continue the work that he needs to do to bring you into a relationship with him, until you say yes to that, and yeah, he can, then you're going to be stuck on your mat because you're going to think that the law still applies to you and you're never going to be good enough to, to be above that law. Does that make sense? You're sitting there thinking, well, there's, yeah. I mean, I know that he loves me. He says that. He has to. He's God. He loves me. I'm not really sure he likes me all that much, and I'm not really sure he's going to let me move any farther than where I'm at. Well, that's because you don't believe or trust that he can tell you to pick up your mat and walk. And that's the question that I want to ask that brings it to us is, do you believe do you trust Jesus enough to leave your mat? You remember when the story said that Jesus didn't ask him, how did you get here? Did you notice that? Jesus didn't go up and go, hey, how'd you get on this mat? What happened? Well, that's a long story. Got kicked by a mule. Yeah, I don't know how a guy happened. I watched too many Westerns, so that's what I thought happened. But he didn't go up to him and go, how did this happen? Why are you here? What have you been doing the last 25, 30 years? He didn't say that, did he? What did he ask him? Come on. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you realize that in our lives, it's the same way that Jesus comes up to us. He comes up to us and we're on our mats, we're paralyzed, we're lost, we're stuck in the same rut, the same routine. We've gotten ourselves to believe that because we have, we have seen these people in church that, that have these rules and these regulations and I'm always looked down on, I'm always not included in, and, and it just I never fit in. And then you tell yourself, well, that must mean that, that God doesn't want me to be a part of that. So we stay on that mat. What we need to do is bring people to the Jesus who comes up to them and says, hey, you want to get well? As nonchalantly and as casually as Jesus coming up and going, hey, you want to grab a cup of coffee? Hey, do you want to walk with me for a little bit? He comes up. He doesn't ask you how you got there. He doesn't ask you why you're staying. He doesn't ask you what happened. He doesn't take a full account of all the stupid stuff that you did that got you paralyzed. No, he just asks you a simple question. Do you want to get well? And what's your answer going to be? To some extent, all of us, all of us spend a little bit more time on our mats than we need to. We're afraid that we can't get to somewhere else or that we're not good enough or that we're not loved enough by God or that there's no way that he can forgive us. 
So eventually, it, you know, and then we start decorating our mats a little bit, you know, making the mats a little bit more like home. And then it gets really comfortable to stay on the mat. Do you want to stay on the mat? All of us. Some sort of mat that, that we uh, have to fight through. Because we can never earn our own salvation by adhering to religious laws. Well, we're never going to do that. But here's the thing. You can't move on to where, and there are people, I know, I'm one of them, that you can see the blessings. It's almost like you can see the promised land on the horizon. It's just a couple miles down the road. But why is it taking us so long to get here? Because you can't move on to somewhere else without leaving where you are. You got to get up off the mat, and it comes down to just just Jesus saying, "Do you want to get well?" And you say, "Yeah." And there's that trust that He can pull this off. But you're gonna have to let go of that mat. You have to let go of that unforgiveness. You're gonna have to let go of that that bitterness. You're gonna have to let go of that hurt. I'm not saying you need to to, to think that it didn't happen, but you've got to decide. I'm not gonna stay in this cesspool any longer when I've got a Savior who's saying, do you want to get well? you want to walk? And that's what he's saying to us. I just, I just was hit by the fact that when, when Jesus did this and the reasons that he did it was because he was so fed up with the way that the religious leaders were keeping people on their mats and keeping them from living an abundant life. And he was like, yeah, we're breaking this up. And I just, it hit me. It just continues to hit me. Jesus doesn't ask us how we got there. He just wants to know if we want to move on. He just asks if we want to get well. And because, like I said, we can never earn our own salvation by adhering to religious laws, God had to culminate his law into the grace of Jesus Christ. So a scripture that we keep reading from Romans 10, that Jesus is the culmination of all these laws. Even the ones that seemingly contradict, he's the culmination. And we need to, to desperately grab this. Because the inability to grasp this will run its course in one of two ways in our lives. We will either give up trying and fall further away from the relationship that God wants to have with us, or, and we'll do that thinking that we'll never be good enough and we'll never be able to earn our way back, or we'll cling to religion until we squeeze all the grace, compassion, and mercy out of it. It doesn't matter what the world says doesn't matter what religion says. And it sure doesn't matter what people say about your condition and the mat that you're on right now. Because seriously, if you want to listen to them, they'll give you their opinion, right? You know, anybody that's not afraid to tell you why you're in the shape that you're in? But it doesn't matter. Because you have a Savior that just walks up to you doesn't inquire anything about your backstory, how you got there. He just looks at you and goes, yeah, I'm guessing you don't really 100% like where you are right now. Do you want to get well? 
I think that's pretty cool. And that just means that Jesus is the end of all discussion, all protocol, and all procedure. Jesus just asked, do you want to move on? Do you want to be healed? And if we're not careful, we will respond. And I'm guilty of this. Just before anybody texts me here in the next 30 seconds to say, listen to what you're saying. Um, I'm guilty of this. All right? When Jesus asks, do you want to get healed? We will respond to him with all the reasons why we aren't. And Jesus just looks at us and goes, I don't care. Because Jesus is the culmination of everything. He is the culmination of the law. Jesus will tell us to pick up our mats. I love this message because in one sense, Jesus sticks it to the man. In the other sense, he frees the man from his paralysis all at the same time. And the question I leave with you today, you think about what you're clinging to. And all of us, seriously, all of us, I don't care if you've been in church all your life and you're a God-fearing man or woman or whatever it is, all of us have something. We have some sort of bitterness. We have some sort of mat that we hold on to. And Jesus just goes, you want to get healed? Don't care how you got here. Just want to know if you want to, want to be healed. And the other thing I love about it is he did this on the Sabbath. He went to work on the Sabbath. Because that's what Jesus does. He tells us to pick up our mats, and he pokes bears. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day and your word. Lord, uh, let, us, let us look to see where it is in our lives that um, we're holding on or staying on a mat that you have no intention or business with us being on. And honestly, you know, not even really that concerned with how we got there. You're just wanting to know are we ready to move on. So, Lord, show us that. What are the things we have to let go of? And we'll give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen.